Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Good morning. It's so nice to be back with you. Um, I was here uh, doing a, a, a bit of a speech about aging. Um, I, I said to the earlier congregation, you invited me to talk about being older than dirt. But um, it was a great day, and I understand lots of you um, uh, attended that series, uh, which is uh, so, so wonderful to hear. Um, this is the beginning of Lent, of course, and in today's gospel, there is a sentence, I think, is in a very important sentence, but I'm not sure that you would have picked up on it necessarily uh, unless you believe that Jesus was human. Interestingly, I think um, in Jesus' own day, he was considered human, and the scriptures largely were written to convince people that he was actually divine, that he was of God. I think the opposite is true in our time, that everyone um, thinks of Jesus, tells jokes about Jesus, uh, refers to Jesus, uh, and, and out, of, out of his divinity, not out of his humanity. So I think um, uh, it's a change up from, from the reason that the scriptures were written and so it's easy to miss. And by divinity, at least one of the things I mean or we mean is that uh, Jesus uh, knows exactly who he is. He knows what's happening and he knows why it's happening. And more importantly, he knows exactly how it's going to end. That's problematic because the, uh, the doctrine of the incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, right? The uh, C-A-R-N, carn, is the same as in chili con carne, right? It's chili with meat. So the incarnation is God's decision to put meat around God's self so that we could see God's real nature. And... Uh, it's, it's hard to square that uh, with today's gospel. Um, we have to believe that Jesus became human, like really human. That God, for some reason, and well, I think a good reason, so that we would understand, set aside God's prerogatives, God's knowledge, and so on. Jesus didn't walk around ancient Palestine uh, knowing that there, one day there would be planes and that we would walk on the moon. We didn't expect them to know about um, that the uh, earth was round. But somehow we put this on Jesus that he knew exactly who he was and what he was doing and why and how it was all going to end. So I want, I want you to play a game of what if with me. And you know, cut me some slack. I'm gonna play with you a little bit here. Um, I don't know if I believe this or not, but I am pretty sure it would make for a very interesting Lent 
if you gave this a try. Uh, I want you to think all during Lent, and especially during Holy Week, about what this would be like if you didn't know how it was going to turn out. If hanging on the cross, you did think that God had abandoned you and it was all going to end in death. And then Easter happens. So Jesus being human, meaning he, he was a gifted human being, brilliant, compassionate, caring, and every day he wanted to be closer and closer to God. Uh, even as a 12-year-old, um, he was in the temple um, uh, talking with those who were knowledgeable uh, about God. And it seemed that he had a very special relationship with God. I'm not saying that he didn't. But did he know? Did he know exactly who he was and why he was there? So think of Jesus as not all-knowing. And why does it matter? I mean, why does such a notion matter? Well, it matters because if, if he wasn't human and he was only pretending to be human or dressed up like a human or trying to sound like a human, then he doesn't know what you and I experience every day. But what if, what if God decided that God wanted to know what it was like to be a human from the inside out as a human. And so God makes this outrageous um, uh, decision to become human, which was um, part of why it was hard to sell Christianity in the ancient world. No God in his right mind would want to be human. I mean, lots of humans wanted to be gods, but no God wanted to be human. Ugh, who would want that? And so uh, this, this was kind of a stumbling block to people. Uh, and so the scriptures were written to convince them that indeed uh, this was God. But think of him as a regular kid growing up. You know, uh, he went through his terrible twos. Uh, his mother spanked him when he was uh, bad. And uh, he was uh, uh, always playing tricks on people. Um, he got into trouble. Um, and... And then we lose him after he's 12. And the next we see him is today, he's coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. What led him there? And what was he accomplishing? Well, baptism was actually uh, quite uh, popular in that day and time. Lots of uh, religious sects uh, had some sort of uh, uh, washing uh, ritual uh, by which they they expressed their um, uh, sorrow for having uh, done something wrong and seeking forgiveness. So that wasn't unusual. But something uh, quite unusual happened to Jesus, as reported in today's gospel. So uh, this is where you have to, like, go with me here just for a minute, right? So what if... I mean, we've all been taught that Jesus was perfect. But what if Jesus wasn't perfect? What if he wasn't without sin? That he made some mistakes growing up. When he did something wrong, he felt guilty. And that's why and how he knows what forgiveness is. 
and how important it is. How else would he have told the story of the prodigal son and understood what that son was feeling when he made the decision to come home to his father? How else would he tell you that when you bring your gift to the altar and you're in enmity with your brother or sister that you go and reconcile with them and then come back to the offer and offer your, uh, your gift at the altar? So maybe he wasn't completely perfect. And what if Jesus actually came to John in good faith like the others did? wanting to be cleansed from their sins, but more than that, appealing to God for a good conscience, as the first letter of Peter says in our, um, uh, in our lesson today. And when he is baptized, this amazing thing happens. A voice comes from heaven saying, you are my beloved, in you I am well pleased. Now, you would think that would be good news, right? I mean, I've never heard a voice from heaven, uh, and certainly not one saying, you are my beloved, in you I am well pleased. But you would think that would be a, a, a pretty affirmative statement, and you would be awfully happy about that. But what the next sentence is, this is the sentence I want you to pay attention to, what the next sentence says is, and the Spirit drove him, drove him, into the wilderness. Now, Matthew and Luke's Gospels, which were written 10, 15 years later, and they had a copy of Mark's Gospel in front of them, changed the drove to lead, that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. But the earliest account of this baptism in the Gospel of Mark says that he was driven into the wilderness. And that's because, I think, when, when you absorb the truth that you are God's child, you are God's son, you are God's daughter, you are God's child, and in you God is well pleased, that's not just a positive statement, it's an alarming statement. Because it raises the question, what are you going to do in light of that? What kind of life are you going to lead? What kind of a person are you going to be in light of that good news? So what if Jesus was human? What if Jesus didn't know how it was all going to turn out? He might have hoped, but he didn't know how it was all going to turn out. And he found this affirmation from God disturbing and not comforting. In fact, it was very troubling to him. And so when he's in the wilderness, he struggles with, who am I? And what does it mean for me? And what does it mean for my life? He was a person who wanted to know God more and more and to be God-like more and more. But oh my God, you are my son in you I am well pleased. If God loves me that much, then what must I do? And so he has lots of temptations, lots of temptations. But I don't think there was a, an incarnation of evil, Satan, 
there as a personality to talk to. I think this, these temptations were going on inside Jesus, in Jesus's heart. Because as he thought about his life, these temptations uh, point to, I want more authority, I want more power, I want more glory. And what he ultimately decides, and he makes the right decision, is that this is not the way to be godlike. And indeed, there is another way. And he will seek, um, seek God in that way. It's a, a, a remarkable thing. And, and I think uh, thinking of this conversation as going on inside Jesus doesn't take anything away from it and frankly makes it a lot more believable. And interestingly, Scripture says that and the devil departed from him for a time. Meaning these temptations came back probably all throughout his ministry, but we certainly see it in Holy Week because he was awfully tempted to run away, to fight, and so on. And yet, we know what the uh, Last Supper, his crucifixion was like, his burial, and his death, which seemed like the end. This may sound a little odd, but if he didn't know how it was going to turn out, then maybe Jesus was the most surprised person on Easter morning that God raised him from the dead. I don't know if this is true. I mean, really, to be honest. It's more of a meditation. But uh, about what happened uh, to Jesus when he makes this decision to find another way of being uh, godlike. And so he lived, he lived his life. He doubted sometimes the way we do. He didn't know uh, how it was all going to turn out. I mean, you and I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon, never mind uh, in the grand scheme of things how it's going to turn out. But if God chose to become a human being, like you and me, with all the temptations that you and I have, and we're not perfect, then God knows us from the inside out intimately, because God became one of us, to discover what it's like to be us and to draw closer to us. It may not be how it happened, but it's at least possible, and, and its meaning is probably true. But here's what I know for sure. I know that God loves you and me that much. That what God said to Jesus at his baptism, God says to you and me. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved child of God. And to us, that may not just be an affirmation, but a kind of alarming demand on us. Because if that's true, how do we live our lives in response to it? And our job is to figure out how we live out what it means. And how do we discern God's will for us? I don't mean about you know, like your whole life, but uh, perhaps there's a relationship you need to uh, pay attention to, or there's a, uh, something that needs reconciling, or a big decision that you need to make. It seems to me that 
the God we love and worship knows what that feels like from the inside out. We literally have a savior who's been here and done this. And that makes a world of difference. So as we begin 40 days of Lent, I'm just gonna suggest to you that it might be a good time to wrestle with our own temptations, knowing that Jesus wrestled with his temptations and he might have chose, chosen uh, not as well as he did, and so might we. And so during this 40 days of Lent, let us embrace the fact that God loves us as God's own child, and then listen for God's call to that next decision or that next relationship or this next part of my life and become the child of God each of us is. I pray for a good and holy Lent for you and for all of us. Amen.